Listener Production. Hey guys, just before we get into the Robbie Madison edition of the Howie Games, obviously Formula One weekend in Melbourne. You may remember MJ has been trying for a year and a half to secure a one-on-one Howie Games edition with the Hammer, Lewis Hamilton. He disappointed us in Singapore. He trashed the brand. MJ, he's beside me now. MJ, Lewis, he's in Melbourne. Have you got a one-on-one with him? The long answer or short answer? The short answer. No. Well, lucky the big boy has got it organised. We are announcing right now on Sunday morning of the race day, we will be bringing to you the four-time champion of the world, Lewis Hamilton, on the Howie Games. Thanks to Howie, not MJ. (laughs) Enjoy Robbie Madison. Okay, are you recording? Episode 47 of the Howie Games. As always, very nice to have you listening. This week, we're coming to you from Los Angeles, and I'm under the pump, it'll be fair to say, to get this episode out. Dad, come on, Okay, Robbie Madison, a giant in the world of extreme sports. Ever since, as a teenager, when Robbie burst onto the scene by winning his debut freestyle motocross event, the kid from Kiama has constantly pushed the limits, taking his sport into a whole new realm. Robbie's stunts are legendary, real jaw-dropping stuff. Jump on YouTube, it'll blow your mind. World record distance jumps over 105 metres. Think about that. Pace it out on your street, 105 metres. He's done some crazy, crazy stuff. His backflip jumped over the Tower Bridge in London, gone up the Arc de Triomphe in Las Vegas. And perhaps most spectacularly of all, Robbie has surfed one of the world's craziest waves, Chopu, on his motorbike, where he nearly drowned. It's not overstating it to say Robbie is a man who confronts death frequently when he goes to work. The way he talks about it, rationalises it and thinks about it is a phenomenal insight into the mind of people who are prepared to risk everything, including their lives, to chase their dreams. If you have fears, any fears at all, and don't know how to overcome them, then Robbie may have some answers for you. Robbie, for want of a better term, has suffered for his art. He has sustained injuries of every conceivable nature and is a very deep thinker. You'll be surprised. As you'll hear, this chat goes into some wild, wild places, and that's just in the first few minutes, including Robbie's experience looking into the so-called afterlife. They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. This chat was done in Sydney in conjunction with Network 10's flagship motorsport program RPM. A couple of times you'll hear us pause for a helicopter flying above us at Lady Macquarie's chair overlooking the harbour. It's just a bit of background noise. Okay, from the afterlife, ghosts and having a beer with James Bond, strap yourself in for one wild ride with Robbie Madison. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Robbie, wonderful to see you again, and in your profession, wonderful to see you in one piece. You're looking fit, you're looking healthy, you're looking good, mate. Yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wind out the creases of my shirt, but yeah, I'm due for surgery here coming up after this month, so... What are you getting done? Yeah, I get my labrum reattached to my shoulder, ACL in my knee, and um, I've got to let my back calm down. I had a crash here um, a couple of weeks ago and compressed my spine, so I've got bleeding vertebrae, which is just a traumatic impact, so carrying some injuries right now, but I'm um, just excited to be back in Australia and, and an opportunity to ride in front of the Sydney fans again. It's been 
probably 10 years since I've ridden in front of them. And so, yeah, I'm excited to just get back out here for the Ozix Open and, and um, have a bit of fun in, in a, with the home crowd. How do you go getting out of bed in the morning? You've just run through a couple of things. I thought you looked good, mate. You might fall off the chair and that be end of you. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm stiff getting out of bed. It's my back that aches. You know, I wake up through the middle of the night aching. And But um, if, I, if I put, like, the deep heats and stuff like that on, it's pretty good. It's just, it's just um, because of the... I have cortisone injected in my back two weeks ago, which has kind of knocked the pain off. But because it's still something going on there, all my muscles are just locking up. So... It's just been a matter of, I'm just stretching. You'll, you'll see me, you'll notice later when I'll be stretching and it's all around trying to just keep me, uh, keep me back moving. Without getting too heavy too early, the obvious question, is it worth it? How old are you? I'm 36. Right, so is it worth it? At this point it is. I mean, but I've, put, I've been in situations where I've just been so lucky, you know, and um, I've, had, I've had a lot of traumatic impacts now um, and I had meningitis when I was 16, so after the meningitis... Um, one of the things that happens with meningitis is your brain swells. And from the swelling, what happened, I was left with um, secondary impact syndrome. So when I have a massive hit to the head, I go into seizure and it's pretty scary. Um, so I've had complications five times. And when they say complications, like my heart stops beating. So I've actually been died like five times now. At, at what age? Uh, well, first time happened when I was 16 months. I died from croup, heart stopped beating on the way to hospital, actually suffocated. Um, but then after the meningitis, um, a couple of head injuries have happened where, you know, hit my head, seizure, stop breathing, they got to paddle me and then seduce me and put me on, on life support pretty much and let me kind of recover. But it's happened, yeah, too many times. Now, last time it happened was in uh, 2015. Had a crash BMX bike in the front yard of all things and... Uh, hit my head, was knocked out for a couple of minutes, came to and was just, my face was kind of all screwed up and I was super angry and then all of a sudden I started seizuring and, yeah, heart stopped beating on the way to hospital and then that one was, um, took a long time to recover really because the head injury, I was just really, I could talk like this and have a conversation but the next day I wouldn't remember a thing and memory side of things being hard for me. I didn't realise it when I was in Australia because I all old faces and I remembered everyone but when I went back to America, all these relationships I'd established within the last, you know, five, six years, um, I couldn't remember anyone. It was crazy. So, is that frightening? Head injuries is a real thing, you know, and it's, um, I've been doing some trial stuff with a doctor out in California um, who's um, administering uh, amino acids with NADs, and NADs is kind of resets all your receptors. So, from having like prolonged use of painkillers, um, alcohol, substance abuse, whatever it is that people have, this is this treatments designed to help people recover from post-traumatic stress disorder, range of different things. Um, a lot of people in America are incorrectly diagnosed with medications and, and go for a long time taking medications that are detrimental to their health. And so this this um, procedure reverses that. But one of the good things it's for is, is um, head injury. So if I had have had this procedure after the last head injury, the cloudiness that I faced for the three years might have, may have been shortened to you know, a few weeks. Three so, years of cloudiness. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a long road, you know. It was like I, I was a different person, pretty much. I, a lot of a lot of my memory was just gone and uh, and I lost the ability to kind of... I, I lost my re recollection of my memory, pretty much. I kind of just forgot. You know, I was, I'd, I'd go back and watch all the videos of myself to remember what really? I'd done. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're a religious man. I'm certainly not. You talk about having the paddles. 
Is there anything out there that you can remember or recall when your heart stops? It's a bit of a weird question. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I'm very spiritual. So, I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd follow the Ten Commandments and, and, I'd, and Jesus, I believe Jesus walked the earth and, I'm, and I, I call myself a Christian, but I also really like Buddhism a lot, you know, and the mindset of, of Buddhism and, and this, you know, meditation I think is key. And I think with Christianity, there's something that, they don't do is I think meditation everyone needs to do it I've had to do it just to get through the jumps and to be able to deal with the the fear that I face um and so my life's turned me on to it and when I first talked about it I thought man I sound like a weirdo talking about (laughs) meditation but it's it's literally I mean it's it's the way that you're able to turn off the prefrontal cortex which is the, the the part of the mind that's just the endless chatter and I don't have it anymore it took me about two years to to kind of master it but I don't have that. I mean, when I want to think about something, I can think about it, but I don't get stuck at night with my brain just running out of control because I've, 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 um, con- I've managed to get control of it through meditation, just from sitting and turning the mind off and when thoughts come up, just dismissing them and then going back to try and just have that stillness. And I, I noticed when I first started doing it, my, my mind seemed like a, a, wild, a rough ocean and the goal for me was to calm it to like a still pond and, and, and silence is really you realise in life that one thing that everything we do creates noise, you know? So silence for me is something that I, I love and it's, um, and being in the stillness is, you know, having the stillness helps you channel and be in touch with who you are. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, but the question, obviously, Was there is anything? there anything out there? For sure, I saw the light at the end of the, you know, I, I, I remember having the out-of-body experience um, and, and I, th- I believe personally that we're all spiritual beings. And um, and I think I've had many life forms before, so I'm I'm here to try and get it right this time. But I I I think what was that life out of body experience like? Describe it to me. Just um, a viewing of my whole life at one in one in one presence. You know, like I was at, coming out of it, kind of had a was able to see my whole life. And was there something that brought you back? <sighs> yeah, just all of a sudden, like I was I was still existing, even though I was clinically dead. You know. Um, and so when I when I opened my eyes again, I was obviously back here in the now. But prior to that, it wasn't like it stopped for me. I was I was existing in a spiritual plane kind of thing. So it wasn't like I, I had things didn't stop for me. I just wasn't in the physical form anymore. Yeah. And so it's um, there's definitely something there. And I've researched it a lot and talk about it all day. But I think it's pretty powerful to to be able to. Uh, I've seen I've seen ghosts before. You know, it's uh, actually I saw it in Sydney here. I was in uh, staying in a hotel and one coming through the window and they apparently they only present themselves to you when you're ready to to see it but i i, I didn't get to choose it you know it was just a, the one experience but i've had a had a bunch of different spiritual experiences with like presences of, of um of spiritual beings being around me and so it's definitely a real thing for sure it's just whether you're um open-minded or, or or willing to to be able to see see in that Hey, Robbie, we've mate. wandered into some pretty heavy gear here just to <laughs> kick things off. Well, pretty good story. No, but, uh, mate, um, I love what you do, but I love your vision t- to perceive these things before you go and do them, which we'll, we'll talk about some examples. But where did this all start for you, mate? When, when did you first get on a bike? first got on a bike when I was a little kid. Um, I got inspired because my dad rode a motorcycle, and I just <laughs> thought it was the coolest thing. And... Um, and he used to ride me around on the on the handlebars. And then shortly after that, I saw a little kid from up the street ride past our house on a motorcycle, and I saw a little kid doing it. And right away, I was like, I wanted to be that kid. <laughs> and I remember we used to have a magnet on the fridge, and I think it was one of the um, 
uh, what do they call themselves? I uh, had the, was it the Cosby Kids or something? Mm-hmm. Um, Fat Albert. Oh, Fat Albert, hey, hey, hey. But, yeah, <laughs> this is one of the Fat Alberts guys, he, and, he's, and he's on a motorbike, and he had the big uh, monkey bars. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, excited I remembered With that. With a banana-style hat on. Yeah. I've got him. So this this magnet was on the fridge, and, and that, for some reason... I just thought like that was that was the only picture we had in the house of a motorcycle. But yeah, so that I got inspired by this kid riding down the road, and realised that I want I, I was like that's all I asked for for Christmas was a motorcycle. Dad's like, what else do you want in case Santa doesn't get your motorbike? I'm like, nothing. I, di- I didn't want uh, I didn't want anything to get the uh, get the wrong idea that maybe I'd be happy with something else. I just wanted a dirt bike, and thankfully enough, it showed up. And can you remember that day when you opened it under the tree? It wasn't under the tree. I got up about four a.m. I went down the stairs and the tree, the tree was, uh, there was no bike there. And I was bawling my eyes out and my mum came out. And she said, what's up, Robbie? And I said, I've been a good boy and I didn't get a motorbike. And she said, I still remember this. She said, oh, come on, let's go, let's go get a drink. It'll make you feel better, you know, glass of water. And that's the only time she's ever said that in my whole life. And we walk up into the kitchen. I was sitting there in the kitchen because it was too hard to get down the stairs. So <laughs> I remember that. Mum's like, all right, you know, you got it now. you got to go back to bed. And they, and the story goes, I don't remember this part, but they woke up in the morning and the bike was gone and I was gone. And uh, and I was up the street riding around. But uh, And what was it about it? What was it that hooked you that you're still doing it now? It was just the freedom. And, and more so, we just spoke about it. It's meditative. You know, you ride a motorcycle. There's so much going on that you're in the here and the now. You can't be thinking about what else is going on in the past or the present so you know there's a, there's a lot of sports that do that and I think that's why we like sports but you know when you're jogging obviously your mind's kind of going crazy but with the bike was it's so so um you know and racing and whatever in general you really got to have that focus so for me it's an escape but um but I, I just love the freedom of it and and I always wanted to fly and, and to me the the closest way of flying was to be able to get on that bike and hit a jump really fast and catch some air and once I started jumping it, I just I got addicted, and it's been my life. When was the first time you crashed? What are your memories of crashing? Because it is part of your sport. Um, I was pretty an accident-prone little kid. We'd walk in the hospital, and I go, "Oh, Robbie, how you going?" You know, knew the family. I had a file that was like really thick. <laughs> they knew your name when you walked first, in. First name basis with all doctors and nurses, <laughs> um, and even to the point where they were concerned that I wasn't getting taken care of enough at home. But uh, but it was just, we, my parents had me when they were super young. And uh, and so we just, um, we kind of, we had like the, the house as the drop-in house. And uh, and so all, we had a half pipe in the backyard when I was a little kid. And my dad surfed and rode, rode bikes. So come from that area. And, but yeah, I just, I had a lot of crashes on bikes. I, had, I, I think I was, like fractured my skull three or four times before I was like five years old, you know, just. Coming off the bike? Yeah, on BMX bikes, pretty much. You're a and, dad now. Imagine what that did to your parents. Yeah, and you know, and I just to go bushwalking with the older kids. I mean, a different time. I can't imagine letting my kids do what, what my parents allowed me to do. But I hang out. I hung out with kids that were six years older than me. So I did advanced stuff as a little kid. And I think that's pretty much why I you know, fit in these shoes. But it's. Uh, I had a lot of crashes. I don't really remember too many as a little kid, but I think the very first, like the one that stands out was the one when I started getting pretty good and started going a lot faster and I had a crash in a motorbike track and, and got knocked out there and remember waking up and having this whole fear for my bike now, realising that this potential energy it had and and, and and I saw it in a whole different, in a, in a different way. So then I really kind of 
got the respect for the bike then and, and started to uh, started to I guess treat it in a different way. But it's um, you know once you start doing jumps and you start trying to push the limits, um, there's a real side to it that can go the other way for sure. Which we'll, we'll talk about. When do you first realise that this is something you can do as a profession? I don't know what you were like at school, but when do you first realise, oh, I can make a living out of riding a motorbike? Um, I didn't realise that I could make a living out of my bike until I was, you know, 23 years old. So I grew up... What were you going to do? I was, I'm a qualified electrician. Are you? Yeah. So I got my trade. Um, I worked six years as a Sparky down in the BHP. And I uh, worked on like Wollongong Hospital upgrade and worked at the university and I got my comms license. So I did, I was uh, doing fiber optics actually here in the city. I used to come up and do fiber optics up here. and Here in Sydney? Yeah. And so I used to terminate the fibers, which was back in the day before the splicing tools got really good. We used to hand do them and, and I had a knack for that. So Listen to you go, Mr. Electrician. Pretty, I like yeah. it. Forgotten it all now, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, mates always give me a hard time like, Oh, we need an electrician. Do you know any, Matto? <laughs> I mean, Dad's a sparky. I still got my licence, but... Uh, so would you have been happy being an electrician, or when you were doing that, was there something pulling you going, there's more for Robbie Madison than this? Leaving school, um, I was I was just happy to get out of there, and I'd kind of given up on the dream of racing motocross because, I, you know, I, um, I grew up racing as a kid, and, um, you know, Chad Reed and I, we, we used to battle a lot as a kid, and... I think Chad knows I stopped racing just to give him a chance to be world champion because, you know, <laughs> if I had it kept going, it would have been a different story for mm. sure. But, I'm uh, sure he'll tell us the same thing. <laughs> he knows I had it over him. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, yeah, I, I stopped racing just... They got they got a lot bigger and, and I was good on the 80s, but when they when we had to... At 16, you had to go to the bigger class and I just was small, you know, and I just kind of wasn't able to compete. I mean, it's, I'm bigger than Chad now, but it's, I was a late bloomer. But, um, yeah, so it's... Um, I, because I'd stopped racing at 16, I kind of just gave it, I let it go and, and I stopped, I sold my bikes, I didn't ride bikes for five years and I, I was surfing and, and whatnot and I did my apprenticeship and I was content on being a Sparky, I actually enjoyed it, you know, I, I liked getting dirty and I liked the, the group of guys I work with and my goal was to go on the big mine jobs like over at Kalgoorlie and West Oz and stuff and just, I wanted to just work as many hours as I could and, you know, buy a couple of houses and I had like this 15-year plan to set myself up and retire at 35 or something. That was last year. I should have retired, but still going at it. <laughs> well, along, but, the, along those lines then, and we'll get to some of the things you did, Robbie. When you jumped up on the Arc of Triumph in, in Vegas... Well, Joe, I have to tell you, that was an absolutely perfect landing for Robbie Madison. He nailed that one. The sweet spot we talked about... He made it look so easy. The story around that is that you were paid two million bucks <laughs> to do that. Are you laughing because it's a ridiculous amount of money because it's just not true? No, it was double that four mil. <laughs> right. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't even it, close to that. It wasn't even... Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, was, it was a $10 million production. Right. That I, I you know, it was a good opportunity for me to get my name out there, but... um. So you didn't walk away with two million dollars? No, I didn't walk away with... Uh, one million, I didn't walk away with with, uh, with with much at all. But as so, as, what, what what does the money side of it mean to you? Before we get to the jumping, that you've been, you know, you, I presume you're worth a fair bit of money for, for following smart. your passion. Yeah. Do but you yeah, look in your bank account and go, "Wow, I can't believe they pay me this much," or is it I'm risking this much, so I deserve to get that much? Well, I don't. I just feel that we're underpaid. You know, like we um, 
we put our life on the line. You know, footballers, um, tennis, player, tennis players, soccer players, golfers get massive amounts of money. And, you know, it, it's hard to make 100 grand as a, as a bike rider. Like, a lot of the guys doing freestyle, they'd be better off working as an electrician, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but it's a lifestyle choice. And for me, the reason I moved to America is because we were just getting horribly underpaid out here. Like, you know, those American guys are out there riding, getting 10 grand a night, and the Aussies were getting offered 500 bucks, you know. And, and I said, well, why, why can't we get paid the same amount? I'm riding at the same level. And they said, well, these guys in X Games and this and that, and they're better known, so... Wow, Robbie Madison, more of that in a moment. Next week on the Howie Games, a truly phenomenal athlete who has fought back from the brink numerous times and Amir's. Um, and I was very fortunate because C2 is where all your lung attachments go to. And I was two mil from a clean break. So two millimetres from being a quadriplegic requiring a respirator for the rest of my life to breathe. Um, and that piece of information really scarred me and sent me on quite a negative spiral mentally because I started thinking in the context of what if, you know, what if that two millimetres had, had not have been there? What if best case scenario I was paralysed from the chin down or worst case dead, which were the only two options that were, would come after that two millimetres was gone? That's Anamir's next week on the Howie Games. Back to Robbie. Okay. Um, so where I was at was... Um, you talk about the money and going to America and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so the promoters were paying the US guys more money because they said they were more famous, you know, whatever. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to America and, and, and competed with them and... and and, and that was pretty much what I did. I went out there, I wanted to earn as much money as I could. I was taking the same risk, so I felt like I was worthy of getting paid the same amount. And it's hard now because the whole sport's kind of crumbled. The, those dollars aren't really there anymore. There's, unless you kind of become, you know, a, a niche person or whatever. And, you know, the guys who are doing the gnarliest tricks are still getting paid okay. But it's, uh, there's a lot more riders now too. So there's a bigger pool. Of, and, and, and unfortunately, there's no... The way I see it is there's, there's no kind of union or structure around the, the industry, and so everyone just unfortunately undercut each other. And coming from being an electrician, I could see what was going on, and I used to say to the guys, like, you can't undercut each other. It's going to... I could see what the outcome was going to be, and, and we're here now with, the, with it. You know, guys are struggling to make money, and they're, they're taking way more risks. And um, so, so how do you, when you do something, how do you put a figure on your life? Which is really what you're doing in some ways, isn't it? Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's always I come down to do I really want to do it? And I'd say yes. So it's not really about paying for what my life's worth. It's like all right, I want the opportunity. And then I'd work with the people to understand what's realistic, you know, like what's the advertising dollars involved? Like what's mm-hmm. I speak to educated people that say, you know, this is, you know, it's a $10 million production, the advertising dollars here, that, you know, it's getting put into this TV time this is the value of it and you can kind of justify it and figure it out and, and so then once you know what your value is then it's just a game of you, you get what you negotiate so it's um but yeah as a young kid you don't realize that and the promoters are willing to take advantage of that so for a long time you either you just you know you kind of get the raw end of the deal and and you either figure it out or you don't but um and then some you've got to always be willing to walk away and that's been it for me i've i've, I've had that mindset where i say well it's going to this is what it's going to be, and if it's if you can't do that, then I'm out. I'm know? out. A few of us, I reckon, Robbie, fear, feel fear. You know, I might feel fear 
twice a year on the surfboard. I don't think we generally feel fear very often. How do you cope with fear? Do you feel fear and how do you cope with it? So one thing I've done is I just constantly work with fear. I rode, when I, when I finished being an electrician, got back on the bike, started riding, and here and there, like usually every time I'd ride, I'd put myself in that fear spot, but not, not right away, not the whole time. But when I started backflipping, that was the point of like, well, do I go back and be an electrician or do I face this fear and figure this out and ride my bike and do my dream? And for me, I was like, I don't want to be a spark anymore. I've already put this much into it. But I literally was riding before the ramp on circles, like having that battle with the, the devil and the angel on me at the shoulder saying, what do I want to do? Is it worth it? And, and, and so I somehow was able to conjure up the, the courage to face the fear and turn my mind off and just believe in myself. And, and that's really the essence of what my career's been about is being able to believe in myself. And when I started out, I didn't really have that in me. My wife helped bring it out in me a lot, you know, because she loved me for who I, who I am, not, not who I was. And, and ultimately, the more I trained and the more that I, the fear, and, and as the stakes went up, I had to really focus on believing in myself and, and, and shutting off the negativity and the judgment. And so to do that, I started meditating and I was able to, I was able to, you know, control my thoughts and switch off all negativity focus on the positivity and then mentally vision myself doing and going going doing the jumps and so by doing that you kind of you're running through the steps um of what you have to do which is essentially firing all the muscles and you really kind of so when you get to this point it's just not like it's totally new to you it, you kind of actually have been through it and and so the confidence is there your, your body's in tune with it your mind's clear and it makes it that's the only way you can really do it is to fight to face the fear, you have to, it's not having no fear, it's just working with it, dealing with it, being at peace with what the stakes are and being confident to do what you need to do to, to make it successful. Some of the things you've done are quite extraordinary. And as I said earlier on, I don't just love that you do them, I love that you have the vision to think of them, which I don't know what goes on in that head of yours that we talked about earlier on. Distance records, what's the furthest you've jumped your motorbike? Uh, furthest I've jumped is 392 feet, which has never many? got recorded. It would, it would, it's a world record. But um, so how many meters is that? Oh, it's a, it's 116 meters, I think. So we grew up, my generation, seeing Evil Knievel, you know, on rockets and all sorts. You are the modern day Evil Knievel. What's it like when you're flying through the air in your motorbike for nearly 400 feet? It's pretty awesome. And what are you trying to do to make sure you don't come off it? Well, the, the whole, it's technique, right? You can't just do that jump any day of the week. You have to have the right conditions. With a headwind, you're going to go a lot shorter. With a sidewind, it's going to pretty much, you're not going to land it. There's a lot of things going on there that could, like, and your life and death, too. You know, you're doing, a, the fastest I've hit a ramp is 107 miles an hour. So it's over 160 kilometres an hour I'm hitting the ramp at. That's the speed you hit it at. Yeah. <laughs> so when you do 160 in your car, when you're on a private course, obviously, it's pretty fast, and you're like, man, to hit a ramp at that speed, it's it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. But um, it's very gnarly actually, and it's life and death. But it, yeah, I guess in the air, I mean, it's, it's what I wanted as a kid. I wanted to fly, and so it's it's it's, it's essentially as close as I've ever been to flying. The Australian native, he dedicated this to Evil Knievel, the Knight of Knights. Yeah, just you gotta stay mindful because 
you're controlling the bike. You got to you can use the clutch to throttle the brake to kind of adjust it and all that. And then you know your body angle. If if you hit the ramp at that speed and your chest is slightly twisted, just the wind hitting you will steer you around. So it's there's a there's a lot of a lot of things that have to be 100% perfect. And and when the speeds go up, the stakes go up, and and so everything kind of gets gets gnarlier. And there's been guys that have kind of come out and you know. Um, quoted to do jumps in different areas and there's actually a jump right now with nascar that was meant to happen that they asked me to do and i said well the ramp needs to be this big and it's going to cost you this much and and uh and then i want to get paid this much on top and then and they and they said well we've got fifty thousand dollars i'm like well when i can figure out how to jump without using a landing ramp because the landing ramp alone is called for a million dollars and they wanted to pack up and you know to be able to set up and pack down in the middle of nascar which is a pretty big mark but this other kid went out and, and um did it on a much smaller ramp and I said oh like he's going to kill himself on this thing you know the ramp's not big enough and uh surely enough he went to do the jump missed the whole landing ramp luckily he only broke an ankle but yeah it's it's a it's a game that um I, I luckily I only reason I've I'm here to talk about is because I've had really good people in my corner that have helped me make it safe you know and unfortunately to rest in peace of Tyrone Gilks but Tyrone you know jumping the world records cost him his life and I think it really came down to he just didn't have the safety built into the ramp you know he had a jump that was it was big enough but it had a point on it and you know the jumps i have have like a hundred foot of safety deck and and i never wanted that at the start i said no it's too much dirt you know she'd be right Mm. but that safety deck has saved me more than once and and without it in melbourne i I probably would have been this sitting right with tyrone right now if if i hadn't had that built into it so so how do you deal with that side of thing we spoke about courage and about fear like you've got a beautiful family now. You've got a beautiful wife, three beautiful kids, and a little one. Congratulations on that, That's mate. Great. I get up and nothing's really going to go wrong at work. You get up every day that you're on that bike without putting too fine a point of it. You could kill yourself. Yeah. Do you think about that, and how do you deal with that, and how do you discuss that with your with your wife, and I don't know your kids? How do you approach it, Robbie? It's a tough one. I try to um, only do things for reasons that that are, are true to me. Because um, my goal in life was to be this person. You know, when I was a kid, I used to dream of being like an evil Knievel or, or being like, a, <laughs> you know, doing these big jumps in front of people and being famous motorcycle riders, what I wanted to be as a kid. And I didn't believe in it, that I was worthy of it. So after school, I went and became an electrician because I didn't have the courage to follow. And then obviously with life and, you know, having the meningitis. And then I was like, life's so short. The only thing I wanted to do was to be a bike rider, so I only have this one opportunity, so I, I went and did it. But it, that comes back to me now. So when I'm in the situation of, like, do I face this fear or do I do this jump? The, the stakes are high, it could kill me. I'm like, well, this is what I wanted. If I, if I walk away now, I'm going to, for the rest of the time, be, be upset that I never really lived my dream or had the courage to do it. So it's But, but you will walk away. <laughs> That, yeah. That's you know what to, to me as a as a, a normal person and I don't mean that in a bad way to me as a normal person well the fact that I can walk away is probably a pretty good result. Yeah, and for me there, there's a plan to walk away um, at some point, but for me there's also we got to set up ourselves so we can we can li- live the rest of our lives. But for me, you know, I'm pretty much there, right? I, I've, I'm not here to jump world records anymore. I'm not here to jump on ten-story buildings. I've already done it, you mm. know. And, and guys speak to me and say, oh, you know, we, we really want to do something really cool with you. We have this whatever production company and networks keen. We want to do, like, and I'm like, I don't want to do that, mate. Like, I've, I've had, so I'm there, you know. I don't want to take the risk anymore. My kids and my life and my wife 
um, is way too important for me. That I don't want to mess it up, and, and I don't want to fall victim to doing a jump for reasons that weren't true to me. Mm-hmm. You know, for going out and doing a jump to earn money. Um, there's times where you have to do that, but I'd rather do it in a controlled environment, environment like for a film, for a movie, because if the risks are too high, we can you can always smoke and mirrors, edit it out. You can use wires, safety, and all that. So, the film world for me is where I'd like to continue doing my stuff because it allows me to do it much safer. And you have played James Bond. You are Bond. 007. So, yeah. did you meet Daniel Craig, or is he not there? Which film was in? It was in. I was in Skyfall. Do you meet um, Daniel Craig in that situation? Um, was Nicky Hayden in it? Yeah. Sure? Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace, Nicky. What a legend he is and was. Um, so do you meet James Bond in that situation? I met him. Yeah, I, I actually... Oh. Um, <laughs> he showed up on site and I was his double, right? And yep. so we were told like, not, to, not to ask for a photograph because it really nerves him. I can see you got the similar good looks, so you could easily be <laughs> his double. It's funny, they blurred my head out every time they come <laughs> i got a face for radio, we both know that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so a lot of the filming, he wasn't there, cause I was, and people, like, I was in Istanbul, I went back there a couple of years ago and walked in and a couple of vendors go, James Bond! They remember me, so that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, so for the most part... Um, he wasn't there, but at the end of uh, end of our filming, he had to come in and get some critical angles um, so they could put his head on my shoulders, pretty much. So there's a scene there where it goes face on, and he's ripping down, and it, it's all me, but it's his face on my on my head. Um, but uh, yeah, so when he showed up for that period, we were in the hotel, and um, and I I didn't, he came up and introduced himself, and he said, "Thank you very much for doing the stunts for me." He goes, "I really admire what you do, and just a nice guy, you know." And he's really humble. And so, because we had had that interaction, we were all sitting at the, at the pool bar at the hotel, and he and everyone's like, "Oh, he, he's Daniel. He's Daniel." He walks in. I go, "Hey, Dan, what's going on, mate?" <laughs> and he looks over. and He's like, "Oh, taken by it, you know." I said, "You want a beer?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, I'll have a beer." So he pulled up a chair and sat with us, and we just had a beer like old mates, which is cool. And shouldn't he just have a vodka martini, uh, yeah. shaken, oh, not stirred? Isn't that go. what he rolls with? Hey, Roddy. Yeah, so it was a good time. And, and he's a gentleman too. He allowed me to get a photo with him, so that was great. We, we were speaking about kids earlier on before we started this, and I've got two kids. Um, the Pickle and the Big Penguin is their nickname. <laughs> pickle and the Penguin. And I always talk to them about the guest and yep. then try and chase them some videos and whoever's most interested, that person asks a question on the Howie Games. So you, which will get us into something I really look forward to talking to, you are getting the question, Robbie, from the, pi- from from, the Pickle. From the Pickle. My seven-year-old daughter. Here. We go surfing all the time, but we go on surfboards. Whose idea was it to go surfing on your motorbike, you crazy lunatic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a gem. Which leads us into you on a motorbike <laughs> surfing the most frightening wave on the planet, Chopu. Wh- whose idea was that? That was my stupid idea. Where does one come up with an idea like that, Robbie? Are you lying in bed at night thinking, hmm, what can I do next? Yeah, well, you know, because I stepped out of racing to let Chad Reed become the star, <laughs> yes. I, um, I had to figure out another plan. And uh, and so, you know, jumping bikes is where my passion is, and I got the world records. And, and for me, when I did the world records, a lot of people say, oh, there's opportunity for you, you know. But I I went and saw a shaman. You know, I just talked to you earlier, I'm a spiritual guy, and I saw a shaman. I did my life um, 
uh, what do they call it, my human design mm-hmm. and a bit of a, a look into who you are and what you're about. And, and for me, I realised doing that that I need to jump for authentic reasons. And he said, there's a way for you to navigate yourself through this life. And he said, and he said I'm on my 133rd life form. And he said, and you have the opportunity in this life form to reach full wisdom. And so that's my goal. You know, I want to I want to make the right choices. And, and, and he said, you know, it could go either way for you when he's looking at it. He said, you could succumb to the pressures of, of, of people around you and you could do things for the wrong reasons. And he said, and that would be a detrimental thing for you. That would, it would, it would take you out. He said, oh, you could do it for the right reasons and he said that you, you could you could walk through this so that's that's my plan you know I'm trying to do it for the right reasons and um and so passion and 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 it's a really cool way to live because I, I dream up of of what I want to do I'm like trying to express myself and I grew up surfing um and a lot of guys have ridden across water in the early Krusty Demons films and Pristrana had a had a stab at it and I think he actually put a ski on his bike as well but he didn't put two two on mm. And it's not that I fed off those things. I definitely the water, skimming across the water was something that was cool and something I always wanted to try. But it, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, they've done this and how can I make it better? I was just literally on the boat watching my brother-in-law, he's world wakeboard champion, Josh Sanders, and uh, on the boat with the wife and, and uh, I'm watching Josh ride the wave and I was just blown away that he let go of the handle and he's able to surf, bow surfing. I mean, it's really common. And But just the physics of what was going on there, I was like... If I put a, two wakeboards on my bike, I, I just had to. Re- I realised I could ride my bike on the water just watching him wake surf, and I was like, <laughs> If I put two wakeboards on my bike, <laughs> I thought two wakeboards and a big paddle tie. I reckon I could go for a long time, and so I had to try it, and I tried it, and second day into it, it, it worked. And then since then, that was 500 feet I rode, and since then I've, I rode 20 miles recently. So that was uh, which was another world record. Another world record. And if, um, if people haven't seen. Pipe Dream 1 and 2, which is you on your bike, um, which you did with DC Shoes and Red Bull and some of your great sponsors. There's also a behind-the-scenes um, three-part show, which I watched last night. And congratulations to everyone involved. It is a stunning show of what went on and what was required for you to surf. Thank you, yeah. One of those motorbike, one of those waves on your bike. You surfed Chopu when a lot of people told you you couldn't do it, which is your life in general and then you went and surfed a second wave called Papara. Right. Tell, tell me about that day because watching this I thought Robbie could die here. He can definitely die. Yeah. And but I knew it too. Sit on the boat. I knew that like chances are I might drown. And uh, I was like I think just my work I think I think anyone in their right mind probably would have tapped out at that point and been like it's not worth it but that's just not who I am, you know. I I I I think I brought brought up to always just stick it out, and you know when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And and uh, and if you want to achieve your ultimate goal, you've got to be willing to work harder than everyone else, give it more than everyone else, risk more. You know, but there's always that balance too of like doing too much. So aware of that, um, the guys at the at DC who who I did the film with were said, "You've got we've got the, we've got an A film here." Like we we storyboard it prior, and we had every part of the storyboard. The only part we didn't have was the shot of me looking down the wave with the barrel, and me looking like I was in the barrel or, or, or trying to get the barrel on your motorbike, on the motorcycle, with a helmet, full padding, boots, gear, the works. Yeah. So we we, we just and so they're like, we've got we've got an A film. It's going to be A plus with this part, and I was like, I want A plus, you know. Of course you do. And so I just decided, you know. We waited two extra weeks in Tahiti um, for this massive swell to come. And when it came, 
I remember waking up in the morning and I could hear the ocean and I was pretty scared. You know, I called a good mate of mine the night before and talked to him about it and he, and he wasn't very supportive at all. He's like, mate, like, you're playing with fire. And, uh, and I said, I've got to do it, you know. And if, you know, if I'm, I'm going to drown, then it's going to happen tomorrow, you know, because I'm going for it. I knew it. And, uh, and yeah, that was it. I made the decision. I got on the boat and uh, I think... A, it just it was what it was, you know. I ended up getting on this massive wave that was um, a west bomb. But by the time I got into the heart of it, it was, it was too long. It was too. I couldn't pull out. I, I, the only way I could go was was towards the shoreline, and I was guaranteed the wave was going to like chase me down because I was going into the white water, and I already knew it didn't work in the white water. So I had to every all the cameras in place, and I was like, I'm just going to ride this thing as long as I can to get the shot. Was, the shot was what was important to me. The and, shot was phenomenal, by the way. Yeah. And it was, it was crazy. I remember riding down it and just, it was like the side of this hill here behind us, you know, just just sh- shaping up. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm just dwarfed by this wave. It was like when you stand on, on, on the road with five-storey buildings and just the side of that going over. It was just... How big was it? It was 18 feet, like the, the face of it. If you ask the surfer, I think surfers would say it was about an eight to ten foot wave. But um, it was, yeah, the face of it was about 18 feet tall. As you say, like a five-storey building chasing you. Yeah, well, probably not five-storey, that one, but... I rode, I, th- I rode a 35 foot wave once, Hawaii, like genuine Hawaii 35 foot wave, Jamie, Jamie Sterling, and uh, that was like the five foot, five story buildings. It was gigantic. It was, it was, it was huge. But riding that wave made me get to this project because I realised there's so much surface area on the wave. I could definitely ride a bike on there. But yeah, this day in Papara, just I, I went for it, and and when when the wave eventually squared up, and I, I literally thought, I panicked. I thought I was going to die, and. Uh, I turned out of it and just I had a I had a lever on the bike to pull to inflate the airbags and I just couldn't pull my hands off the handlebars to inflate that and the bike ended up chasing me down and then I disappeared for six minutes you know where they, they couldn't see me the, the, the helicopter was circling they could see me but the, the guys on the on the jet skis couldn't see me I think just because of the flotation I had the wave just carried me a long way and because of the flotation it kept me in the water so I wasn't getting a chance to get a breath but uh, yeah, it, was, it was something that scared me. It made me step back, and I actually said to myself I wouldn't do it again. And then I've been back to Fiji recently, and it, the project failed in Fiji just because we didn't have sand in the paint, and I, I couldn't get off the boat, and, and I missed the wave. And again, you know, another six, eight months of my life focused on this goal and, and fell short. But the water bike to me is something very special, and, and I want to finish off what I started and to me I'm trying to right now I'm working with these really smart engineers and we're, we're about to make a kit that you can buy to transform your motorcycle into watercraft and wow. for that I'm excited and, 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 and for me that's a way of just finishing off this project neatly because I'm going to create something that's going to be for the for the masses and, and it's going to be environmentally friendly and uh, and I'm excited about the ideas we have and how we're going to make it. It's going to be a marvel, an engineering marvel but I think it's going to be something that's going to be a lot of fun and you won't have to buy a jet ski and a dirt bike. You'll be able to have the one thing, two hours work on your bike and you'll be able to go on the water or go on the dirt. So I'm excited for that. Last week on the Howie Games, it was four wheels rather than two with old school Formula One racer and 1980 world champion, the straight talking, slightly loose, Alan Jones. You've, you've got to be a little bit careful talking this way because you get the odd guy out there, oh, big-headed wanker. Well, you I'm know. asking you the question. Yeah, I know, but... You know, I'm, I met a lot of famous people, huge. You know, I mean, I remember, um, I remember I was in Rio one night and I got a phone call and um, 
somebody said, oh, I'm Omar Sharif's private secretary. He's having a party. He wants to know if he'd like to come round. And then I got an invitation to Stevi Balaceros was was having a, a party. And, and so you were getting these sort of invites mm. to go to these sort of parties and meet these people. And you'd go? No. No, more times than not, I didn't. Right. So I think it, I don't know whether it was out of shyness or whether it was I'm here to go motor racing and, you know, what I told you about going out the front door and putting the race face on, well, that's how I used to go. Um, you know, I never used to go down by the pool because I was scared of getting sunburnt. I, um, you know, I was 100% there to race a car. Okay, back to Robbie Madison. Is there something in your mind at the moment that everyone else will say can't be done that you're planning? Yes. <laughs> Got the smile on your face. And I, I, obviously, you can't talk about things that. It's the final. It's the final thing. And I've always said. This is know, the final. This is it. This is the. This is the final goal of what I want to do. Is is after the finish the water bike. It's the last cab on the rank and. And the, the the team that I'm using to build the water bike is the team that it is going to that is going to allow me to, to realise this dream. And I said that when I when I do this feat, that I'm going to hang my boots up and I'm going to stay true to it. If you reflect on the last 20 years, it's been an incredible journey. It's been insane. I'm trying to find like the right producer to, to, to do my life story. A lot of people come to me and said, "Hey, we want to do your documentary." And I'm like, "It's not done yet. You know, I need to finish it off." But when it is, I'm sure the, the, the stars or the plants are aligned to do it with the right person. But just to tell them the story of how many times I've died, you know, the stuff that I've faced. I've been held at gunpoint here in the city and, you know, just a crazy journey of, of, you know, it's a love story with me and my wife too. It's, you know, I'm, I've, I've made every mistake that you can make and, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've been dead and, I've, and I'm definitely looking from the outside in. It seems like I had this great career that was easy. But it's been so hard. It took everything out of me, but it made me the person I am and it made me the dad that I am. And I'm proud of that, you know, and, and now my kids are the most important thing to me. And I'm starting to see in them the the things that were important that I wanted to see in my kids and it, they're starting to show it to me. So it's pretty awesome to have kids and to be able to be at this side of it, you know. And yeah, it's, it's sad that a lot, I've lost a lot of my good friends along this journey too, you know, and, and just, but it showed me how to, how, like, you can't be too serious about stuff, you know, and you have to be also very serious about the safety side of things and you can't let your ego get in the way and there's so many things that can bring you unstuck and luckily enough I've, I've, I've learnt the lessons but they haven't taken me out and and unfortunately for some people they're just so in tuned in, in that way that, that some of these things catch up with them and and even just times when people shouldn't be taken out, you know, and, and it's, it's not always their fault And but it's but life's not fair, you know, and... And we see it every day. You can just be an innocent person at a, at a rock concert and be mm. shot, you know. So it's it's definitely not fair, but I've definitely had a great run. I've been blessed and I'm just here to now to just be a good dad and finish off what I started and and try and give back to people and do some good in this world. What will you say to any of your kids if they say, I want to do this, I want to do what you're doing on a motorbike and I'm prepared to risk my life to do it? Because now that you're a dad... You can understand what your parents have gone through for yeah. the last 20 years. I feel sorry for my parents because I had that mindset and I was willing to die for it too. So, hey, if that's their choice, if that's what they want to do, I'll support them. You know, it's um, it's their life to live and they got to do it the way they want to do it and whatever makes them happy. I'd rather them live a life of happiness and, you know, touch wood. You know, I'd love, rather them do what they love 
and, and die young than to live a life of life a long life of misery it wouldn't be worth it you know life so there's so much joy to be had of following what's true to you and what your passion is that if that's their passion then I'll support them but I'm trying to do my best to help them find other passions right now but um golf tennis yeah, I love golf and the boys <laughs> like it too but um you know my son Cruz he's actually racing this weekend at Sydney he's doing the KTM Junior Challenge and it's um I'm scared I'm his mechanic you know and, and I've been thinking about this week you know I'd, I'd you know, touch wood, I don't want nothing to go wrong, but he's um, he's a good kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders and he's very much not like me. He's, he's very calculated and, and he's in his, uh, he's, he's pretty true and you know, to who he is. So one thing I've been talking to him, I said, when you get out there, mate, you can't be aware of these 20,000 people watching you and allow that to kind of, you know, so it's just you and your bike and your technique. You've got to have your technique right. And I said, as soon as I see it missing, I'm like, I'm pulling you off the track. I said, so don't go out there and be looking around and trying to put on a show for people. I said, if I see that, I'll be pulling you off the track. And But he wants to be out there. And I, he saw, he saw the, the kids, the KDM Challenge in America. And I, I said, look, this is what you're going to be doing. Do you want to be a part? And he goes, I've got that, Dad. <laughs> so he's excited. He, he, he's actually really excited about it. He's been riding the bike. And that's what life's about. You know, he's, he's genuinely excited for something. He's, he's, he's like, he's just pumped. And, and so I'm, I'm happy to see that in him. But... You know, I think, um, unfortunately, I'm a bad example that every day they see me ride my bikes. So that's just what naturally they want to do. And as, you know, they're about to see me do some pretty wild stuff on my bike too. And, you know, my son tells me that he has dreams he wants to fly. And that's just, that's a dream I had when I was a kid. So, <laughs> you know, I think the the path might already be paved, but um, they will walk down together and I'll support him the whole way. Probably one of the most incredible things I've seen in this job was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, down at Docklands, and you were doing a stunt jump for your uh, skills, a small jump, to promote an event, and it started raining, and the organiser said, right, we should call this off, and you said, nah, these people have come, we're gonna do the jump. And it wasn't a big jump, and I don't know if you remember, you fell. I remember, yeah, slippery. You fell. Dubbed Australia's modern day Evil Knievel, Crusty demon Robbie Madison was brought back to earth today in a frightening example of just how risky his chosen sport is. Gosh, darn it! The injured ace clearly unimpressed with event organisers. When we came here to set this up, I said, hey, let's set up so the wind's a tailwind for me to make it safer. And they're like, no, no, we want the city in the shot. So uh, I just, I guess I'm... Too, I get, you know, I'm too easy. I, I let them do what they want to do. They pushed me around this time and they made it dangerous for me. But in true Daredevil style, Madison believes to have the thrills, you have to cop the spills. It's a gamble every time I jump my bike and this time I lost. As well as receiving stitches after today's incident, Robbie has previously lost two front teeth, broken a leg, two collarbones and six fingers, dislocated both knees, had a brain hemorrhage and broke his neck while going over a motorcycle jump in his ute. I jump my bike because I love it, you know, I, every waking moment all I think about is ride my dirt bike and, uh, you know, it's cool for the women and for the free food. After jumping a world record 98 metres in Las Vegas on New Year's Eve, the 26-year-old hopes to go further again at Calder Park in late March and eventually even further again. I think, you know, it's definitely possible to have a rocket-powered bike and jump over a kilometre. After he gets out of hospital. Mark Howard, 10 News. The guy on the ambulance, you had blood coming out of your side. I think your handlebar had gone into your guts, for want of a better medical term, Robbie. <laughs> and the guy in the ambulance said, you need to come into the ambulance. And I will never forget it to this day. You said, these people, as in the media, 
me and a couple other camera crews have come out to speak to me today. I'll speak to them before I go. And you did, and you had gauze on your stomach holding it in while we had microphones talking to you. That blew me away and still does, and I think it's... That's cool. Uh, it's, I find it inspiring, the vision you have, but just the way you deal with people. Um, you're never a man, and it showed me that day, you've never a man that's got ahead of yourself. You yeah. uh, seem to be a man of the people, which is really cool because you've had Thanks, a lot man. of success and you've done some amazing things. Yeah, I thank you for just noticing that, but it's... Do you um, remember that? When you I had do. your guts I, hanging out doing yeah, that interview? I do, I remember it clearly. the scar. There you do. There's the scar right there. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, to me, being true to myself and is, is being the good person. And so, you know, I got brought up, I'd, I'd say, the right way, you know. I'd, like, definitely brought up to be respectful and, and appreciative. And I know that to be, have a successful career, you know, everyone does business with people they like. Mm -hmm. If you're, for lack of a better term, dick. Yep. <laughs> then at some time that's going to catch up with you and and, op and, and the options that are available to you aren't going to be as, as, as wide because some people just aren't, aren't going to want to work with you because of that your nature. And, and so for me, I know that the media is key in, in, in you know, and, and, and so for me, I, I just want to do right by people and and I just don't want to leave people shortchanged. You know, they, they come for something, I want to give it to them. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just... I'm a man of my word, and that's just who I am. So I just, um, it, it meant more to me that day. I was fine. If I had been in agony, I would have gone. But in, in the grand scheme of things, this is a paper cut, you know, for, for an office guy. So it, it was, yeah, it was just a flesh wound, and I, was, I wanted to get the talk done. And, and um, yeah, if I had, a, yeah, for whatever, if I, if I had a left just because of that, then, you know, I wouldn't have been the person who I have to be to, to get through the career I've got through. You know, it's like a... I've dislocated shoulders and, and finished events, you know. I've, I've done a lot worse than that. So that was just like, you know, catching your nail or something. I don't know about catching your nail. I saw half your stomach hanging out. Robbie, mate, we really appreciate your time. Best of luck with everything going forward with the big project. I hope it comes to fruition, mate. But most importantly, stay safe. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful to have a chat with you, mate. You're a legend. ta mate. Thanks to Robbie Madison, a true, true daredevil and a lovely, lovely fella. You don't meet blokes like Robbie every day. It's a chat I really enjoyed. He is a fascinating character. Hope you took something from it as well. Next week, where the show will hopefully be coming to you from Central America, fingers crossed if we can get the technology to work, and that's a big if, when our guest will be Animeers. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener